You're listening to the Hashtag STR Ask podcast with Amy Hall and Greg Kokel. Welcome. Hey, Amy. Hey, Greg. Okay, this first question comes from Andrew. Would you please clarify your assertion that whenever you add any adjective to the word justice, you corrupt it? I love the aphorism, and I think rhetorically it has great explanatory power. I just can't quite succinctly explain why this is true. Well, it's an observation. It isn't a grammatical rule. Justice is justice. Okay, certain things are due people, and uh, and the word justice captures the notion of what is appropriately due people. Justice is when you give people their due. Now, that may be something uh, pleasant or affirmative, or it may be something unpleasant like punishment. Justice works both directions. It's giving people their due, what is appropriate. Um, it is a, a, a uh, like rights are a just claim to something. If you say, I have a right to something, then you are, you are due that thing in virtue of justice, if in fact it is something you actually do. I mean, nowadays people make up rights claims all the time. But... Uh, the observation is when adjectives are added to it, it takes dis- just the word justice and it distorts it. It politicizes it. It it so you might have social justice. Okay, um, then uh, that means this is a Marxist notion that that entails that people are poor because they've been uh, oppressed. So poverty is an example of oppression. Now, I say that's Marxist because um, in a non-Marxist understanding of economy, um, it is not oppressive because people don't have money. But in the Marxist view, the the poor are oppressed by the rich, and it just in, in virtue of the fact that they don't control the means of uh, production, etc. They're the ones who are working for the, they're the, the the working class that's working for the the uh, the capitalist, and so the capitalist is making a profit off of them. And if they are poor, it's because somebody took money that belongs to them, all right? But uh, the Mosaic Law says, do not favor the poor in judgment, but act justly. Okay. So justice means to give what is due, okay? The Bible doesn't have any sense that if a person is poor, that is in virtue of oppression, it does say to protect the poor from oppression because the poor, being poor, are easily oppressed. But their poverty isn't an example of oppression. So I just use that as one example that when you add these adjectives to the word justice, you're really importing a some kind of social-slash-political notion that may end up subverting real justice in the process, okay? And so now we have uh, reproductive justice. What does that mean? That means the liberty to kill your unborn children. Is that just? No. So the word reproductive added to the phrase justice has now perverted justice, but it makes it sound like it's an act of justice. So this is rhetorical manipulation. 
And as a generalization, and it's not from me, I think I heard it first from Dennis Prager, as a generalization, whenever you add an adjective to justice, what you're doing is you're perverting it, distorting it, by importing some kind of other element that politicizes the notion. Justice is a word that works just fine all by itself. If somebody is being uh, treated unjustly in virtue of racism, then justice is violated, and justice should be restored. Okay, you add racial justice to it, there's a whole bunch of other baggage that comes with it that may not turn out to be just at all. And so that's the reason for the generalization. I I think what's happening here is when you see the word justice combined with another word, as you say, Greg, that signals that justice is being used rhetorically, Mm -hmm. as you said. I think that's a simple way to look at it. It's not that adding a word changes it. It's that the Usually, if somebody's adding a word, that signals that they're using the word justice rhetorically. And how they're using it is to mean something I like or something Mm -hmm. I think we should do. And so um, what they're doing is they're taking, they're they're redefining the word to mean things that are good or things that I like. And they're using the word that has connotations to us as a society since we have this long history of the word justice and we have it has good connotations and then they attach it to another word and then suddenly we think it it kind of baptizes their policy with that's these right. good connotations yeah, excellent way of putting it so that's the problem now the biggest problem with redefining the word justice from being say uh what you're owed what you've earned that sort of thing or whether good or due. bad what is due the problem with redefining that especially when I think in terms of charity. So when it comes to like social justice and the idea of giving to the poor, which is a good thing and something God commands us to do, and and it's something we should desire and we we should take part in. But is it justice? That's the question. And my problem with saying that that is an example of justice is that we lose the meaning of justice, as you said, Greg. Now justice is— You also lose the meaning of charity. We, we, and that's exactly my point. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. That's exactly my point. I'm glad you're following along here because yeah. the problem is once we lose justice, not only do we lose charity, but we lose the gospel. Because if suddenly you don't understand the idea of what you're owed, and suddenly you think, well, if I need something, I'm owed that thing. Mm-hmm. Justice provides me with that thing. Well, how will the gospel make sense in that world? If it's just for God to give us grace because we need it, then where's the gospel? It's gone. It's not grace. It's not grace anymore. It's obligatory. So it, it's. I think it's going to cause all sorts of confusion among Christians. I think it already is causing a lot of yeah. confusion, and I think it's going to get worse. It is principally a tool of manipulation, I think, to take foreign notions, notions that are completely foreign to the concept of justice, and use justice, as you pointed out, as a connotation word to ennoble this new idea they have. You use the word baptized, perfect. And this happens all the time. I mean, you go back to the Third Reich and you have the final solution. What's wrong with solutions? In fact, let's let's get a final solution. So whatever problem that we're trying to solve, we've now solved it for good. 
But of course, that's a euphemism for the destruction of every Jew in Europe. Now, they didn't succeed. They only killed six million of them, and six million others, as it turned out. This is not war dead. These are just executions. Um, but the uh, but but the the notion becomes palatable because the way language is used. Joseph Goebbels was the head of propaganda, and he was very very clever how he used it. Now, some people resist any connection of anything now with the Third Reich. And they said, well, I know when somebody raises the Third Reich or Hitler, they're losing the argument or they've lost the argument. Wake up. Hit, um, history repeats itself. And those who don't learn from it are doomed to repeat it, one once said. We see these patterns in totalitarian governments, and it's not just the Third Reich, but it's also the Soviet Union, it's also Cambodia under the Pol Pot, the Khmer Rouge, and every other place where totalitarianism reigns. They manipulate language, and we better understand how that happens, or we're going to be victims of it, and that is what's happening here. As Christians, we need to respect language and the meaning of language. After all, God has communicated to us with words. That's how he has communicated himself to us. And words are a tool for understanding truth. Mm -hmm. And so as Christians, we need to be very careful with how we use words and to avoid euphemisms, to avoid changing definitions of words all the time, because that's how you get a relativistic understanding of language is how you manipulate people, as you said, Greg. And unfortunately, in a relativistic society that doesn't value truth, we're in all sorts of dangers. So as Christians, this is something we need to be really careful about. On the uh, the Ambassador's Creed, which I'm, I thought I had a copy here somewhere, but it's in the back of the tactics book, and uh, there is, a, there is a, a point there about a good ambassador is careful how he uses language, and he does not use empty rhetoric to make his points. By the way, we don't need that because we have good arguments. So we don't need to be manipulative in the way we talk in order to get to 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 make our point well. Okay, Greg, let's go on to a question from Michelle, and she asks, should a Christian consider an invitation to join the DEI committee at their workplace? How can a Christian best serve as a DEI committee member? What resistance, if any, should a Christian anticipate as a DEI committee member? Well, DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this is a euphemism for critical race theory. It's all the same stuff, okay? And when CRT came on with the force a couple of years ago, there was such a backlash that they <laughs> abandoned CRT as an acronym and adopted a different acronym, DEI. And and therefore, they could say school boards, organizations, whatever, completely disingenuously, hey, we're not teaching CRT. We're teaching diversity, equity, and inclusion. Of course, all of these notions are tied up with the CRT, critical race theory, or critical theory, which expresses itself in a number of ways, one with regards to race, another with regards to sexuality. Um 
they can use this terminology to accomplish the same end that they were with CRT. So this is a shell game, okay? It's a slate of hand. Um, now, what's, this is an interesting opportunity because if a person who is a Christian has an opportunity to be on that panel, then they can have a salutary effect on the panel as well. And they can question and challenge these particular things that uh, are that have 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 proceeded from these uh, these concepts like social justice or sexual justice or um, you know a whole host of other things that have nothing to do with anything virtuous at all. Uh, these are manip- the, uh, these are and by the way, was this in a school situation or a business at a workplace? At a workplace. See th- this. Whether school or workplace, what is going on here is indoctrination according to a political philosophy. It's indoctrination according to a divisive and controversial political philosophy, in some cases, as a condition of keeping your job. And so the Christian could have an impact here, but they can only have an impact by being shrewd in opposing in careful ways, the promotion of these ideas in the workplace, and could argue or contend for the workers, and there are multitudes of them who do not agree with this stuff and do not want to be indoctrinated by it, uh, yet are afraid to speak up because their jobs are on the line. And um, I know what the crowd is going to say what the the rank and file in the these meetings and oh we're this is we're trying to do what's right and to bring people together and all this other doesn't bring people together it divides people makes them angry in a way but they can't speak about it because they'll be punished what's what is that that's called soft totalitarianism and um, the person uh, michelle if you read the book Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher, D-R-E-H-E-R, is that it? D-R-E-H-E-R, yeah. Yeah. But Live Not By Lies is all you have to remember, and it's an easy title to remember. It's not long, it's not burdensome, but it really is. will tell you what's going on. And the year before last, so that would be 21, I wrote a series of articles in Solid Grounds that are all available that where I talk about these problems, the totalitarianism that is expressed in meetings and in enterprises like these. I think she ought to do it, okay? But you have to, Michelle, I think you ought to do it, but you have to count the cost. First, you want to get up to speed on what's going on. You want to read um, Dreher's book, uh, Living Up by Lies, and there's some other um, things you might read as well. Maybe there's some things on our website, I don't know. Amy would know. But uh, get up to speed on this, and then begin to raise questions. Okay, and the questions are going to be something I would suggest. Why is it appropriate for us as a committee representing the leadership of this country, a company, to enforce a divisive, controversial, political ideology as a requirement for people to make a living here? I mean, if you if you had required them to go to Bible studies, that would be appropriate. If you um, 
required them to go to MAGA sessions, make America great again. That wouldn't be appropriate. Why is this appropriate? This is a controversial, divisive, political point of view. How is it that this is being enforced in companies and uh, people's livelihood is dependent on them going along with it, giving it the nod, and not complaining? Okay, that's the kind of thing—I mean, this point can be made. Is there—does diversity, DEI, diversity, include diversity of opinions about DEI and other things related to this? Um, And if 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 people do not accept these ideas, are they free to— to offer another point, or will they be punished? And if they're going to be punished, what justifies punishing them? The fact is people are losing their jobs because they're not going along with this. Hopefully your your employer, Michelle, is uh, I want to uh, is broad-minded enough and enlightened enough that they are willing to entertain contrary views without punishing. But it, it, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. And there's a reason for this that com- companies are going. It's, in my opinion, it's all about money. It's, it, it, if, if, the, if the culture changed, it went in a different direction, and it became economically beneficial to be not woke, they're not going to be woke. This is virtue signaling for the sake of profit. That's why big business is on board with this. These are not conservative notions. Big business used to be quite conservative, okay? Big business is based on capitalism. But DEI is an anti-capitalistic enterprise because the E stands for equity, which means everybody ends up the same place. That's Marxist, not capitalist. To each according to his ability, from each according, no, to each according to his need, and from each according to his ability. That's a Marxist doctrine. You have less, you get more. You can produce more, you give more. From each according to his ability, to each according to his need, we even everything out in the end. Just, That's what equity means. Just one correction. It's not you give more, it's we take more from you. No, we take more. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we take it. Yeah, that's the idea. So th- this is completely counter to big business as a capitalistic enterprise, okay? Why are they going along with this? Because it's smart business at the moment, okay? So anyway, the other thing I would say, Michelle, is I hope you could get in there and be a, um, you know, have a salutary impact there by raising these questions. However... Keep in mind, you, at best, probably are going to earn the ire of everyone else on the committee. And at worst, you could lose your job. So count the cost. Yeah, my advice would be, it's great if you do it, but if you're not willing to stand up and stand out and be the only one on the side of something, mm-hmm. then then don't do it because I think it will only torture you and you'll feel mm-hmm. guilty or whatever. I, you Ruin have to your be reputation willing. in the public. They will dox you. They will do all kinds of things. This is all being done. By the way, it, you you 
you you you need more than the willingness to stand up and be shot at. You need the willingness to stand up and be shot because they're not going to miss. In many cases, I don't know about your employer, Michelle, but this is just the way it works. But if people don't stand up, what's going to stop this flow? And I do not believe the majority of people agree with any of this, but they are being bullied into silence. Yeah, so if you're in that committee, you're in a position to stand up for the people who are actually are being excluded for their viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a good place to be, but you have to be willing to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about a friend of mine. I'm not even going to say what kind of business he's in, mm-hmm. but he was in one of these training DEI seminars and they asked everybody, and I, I'm trying to remember exactly what the question was. It might have been something along the lines of, are you willing to use the pronouns, the preferred pronouns of people? If you are, stand in this corner of the room. Oh, great. If you're not, stand in this corner of the room. And he was the only person to go stand in the corner where he was saying, I, I'm going to use the actual pronouns, not the preferred pronouns. Mm-hmm. The only person in the entire seminar. I promise you, though, there's a whole bunch of people in the other group that didn't want to be there. But they're doing it for self-protection. It's true. And so if you're in this position where you can stand up for those people and give them a voice, then that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's going to be easy. And I don't know how long I could do that. (laughs) I don't know how long that you'll want to do that. It might be that it will end up being pointless. But I don't know. I, I, I think it's worth a try, especially if they're asking you. They're asking her. They're giving. They're inviting her to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And read Roger's book, because the title actually comes from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Soviet dissident who spent 10 years in the Gulag. He's a, a Pulitzer, uh, not a Pulitzer, but a Nobel Prize winner for his work uh, exposing the Russian Gulags and eventually exiled to the United States and uh, what, 1979, and he wrote an essay as he was leaving, firing his final shot, and the essay was titled, If Not By Lies. And um, there's a cost that's involved, but we as Christians, it, his, his argument, we can't live according to lies, and we can make a difference if we refuse to do so, even though we're small and big brother is big. And that's what we're talking about here, big brother. Incidentally, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, the three slogans of the, of, of the, the party in 1984 watched over by big brother was, uh, freedom is slavery, war is peace. And there was a third one. I can't I remember, can't think of it. but they're opposites. This is what they're, so male is female. Okay. Uh, it, it's just, That's just one example. The exact same thing is happening that was described by by Orwell in 1984, who wrote in the 30s and was a socialist himself, but he was pillorying Soviet-style totalitarianism. And here we see the same patterns here. So uh, just to sum up, Michelle, we, we didn't actually talk very much about the ideas behind DEI. So if if any of you have questions about that, I recommend going to Neil Shinvi's website. That's S-H-E-N-V-I. He's an apologist, and he has done a lot of work explaining very clearly 
what critical theory is. He uses a lot of of um, primary sources, and he has examined a lot of their books and talks and all sorts of things. So if you want to understand what critical theory is and why why we would, we would be against it, mm-hmm. because it's possible there are people listening who don't even know why we, we would be against it. Um, isn't that, isn't it supposed to help people? Why don't Christians want to help people? So you need to understand. And actually I just heard today that, uh, he has a book coming out in October on critical theory. So, um, uh, let me just, we're right at the end of their segment here, but I wanted to add one thing that is part of critical theory that he talks about and it's called oppression through ideology. And it's something everybody here is completely familiar with. And you're so familiar with it that it doesn't even seem weird anymore. Oppression used to be when you hurt somebody or where you denied something that they should get. So you don't let them get an education or you don't let them ride in the front of the bus or you take something from them that's theirs. You oppress people by hurting them. Okay, that is all changed. Think of the gender thing. Um, you know, you don't want to go with the wrong with the pronouns. Okay. You're an oppressor. Why? Because your point of view is oppressing other people. Now it's not actions that oppress. Now it's ideas that oppress, even ideas that have really no impact. You know, you want to do what you want to do and be what you want to be. Go ahead and talk the way you want to talk. Why do I have to talk that way? Because your ideas oppress me. And so now disagreeing is an act of oppression. You're oppressing people through your contrary ideology. That's nutty. And by the way, it's a one-way street. It doesn't work in both directions, obviously. But we have gotten so used to that. Oh, I don't, I, I don't want, you know, I'm offending. I'm being intolerant. I'm this, that, the other thing. All you're doing is having a contrary point of view. And that is being characterized as an act of oppression, which, by the way, if it's an act of oppression, it's violence against a person. And that person feels justified then in responding in self-defense with physical violence. That's Antifa and others like them. All right. You started it. You oppress me with your ideas. That is hurting me. I can defend myself by reacting violently against you. That's what's going on here. That's oppression through ideology. It's one of the pieces of critical race theory. It's a radical distortion. It's completely unjust in the classical sense of justice, but it is characterized as justice now because of the adjectives that are added to the word. All right. Thank you, Andrew and Michelle. We appreciate hearing from you. Send us your questions on Twitter with the hashtag STRask or go through our website on our hashtag STRask podcast page. Thanks for listening. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. 